in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last count, Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little bit easier to grasp. This week, we're looking at the Mother and Baby Home Commission. Listener discretion is advised and the helplines will be listed at the end of the podcast and on our social media. So I suppose we'll jump straight into it. Yeah, we're going to talk today about the commission on the Mother and Baby Home. We're going to talk about the commission itself, what, why it was set up and what it investigated we're going to talk a bit about what commissions are in general. We're going to go into the history of this commission and all the steps that it took to get to publishing the final report. And we're going to talk about the final report itself uh, and some issues that were raised about it. And finally, we're going to look at what will happen if this commission closes on this Sunday, February 28th. So the commission was set up in 2015 after a local Galway historian, Catherine Corliss, discovered um, a massed, unmarked grave containing up to 800 um, babies at the former Bond Secure Home in Tume. And the commission was tasked with um, making a report on the, I guess, abuse that was conducted in these mother and baby homes, these mother and baby homes and also the county homes. So what we're looking at now is this Sunday, the the findings from the report, which we'll get into later, they're going to be sealed for 30 years. There's a lot of questions as to why it's going to be closed and we'll get into yeah. that later but I suppose people are kind of like people are still confused there's a lot of legal there's a lot there's a lot of le- legal discourse that may yeah that is very confusing so I suppose where do we start off is kind of Amy I'm going to leave this to you like what is a commission like why is this in particular body legal body set up to do yeah. the investigation report into the mother and baby homes yeah so the commissions it's these are like commissions of investigations so all these kind of things were set up under the commission of investigations act 2004 so this it's basically commissions are set up to investigate something that is a matter of like grave public concern that people deserve to know the ins and outs about as something is set up as a commission generally because it's less expensive as a tribunal and it's also quicker and also that for, you know, people affected by it, it's generally less invasive than a tribunal. You don't need to go through the whole rigmarole of going through court, which is Jesus. It just can be really horrific um, for anybody who's gone through something. So basically what these commissions do is that they're allowed to seek like voluntary cooperation of like witnesses. Um, but they also have the power, power to like compel people to give witnesses if they feel it's really necessary and they can search premises, take documents and basically they get all this information together for stuff and they make this big report. And these reports are given to like the ministers, uh, the relevant ministers that the report will kind of most affect their department. And then the minister is obliged to publish this like final report so that people can see it and there's been a couple of these kind of commissions one that people will probably be familiar with is the commission of investigation into the dublin archdiocese so that was the investigation into the handling of the complaints of child sexual abuse for the catholic priests but there's been stuff there was one on the banking sector in ireland in 2010 after the crash and there's this mother and baby home now so really commissions are set up to look into things for public concern and they're set up to give this comprehensive report that the public can see and they're set up because they're less they're quicker and they're less invasive than tribunals. And is there a timeline in when these commission reports should be finished and when they should be archived and the findings should be sealed away? No. 
So each commission is kind of, so the Commission's Act kind of gives an overarching view of how all these bits should be handled. But each commission is very individual because there's a certain amount of money allocated. There'll be different people on the commission. There'll be different amounts of people. So it's all very individualistic to them. They'll give now a rough time frame of like what they want and what they hope to do. But as if with, I think nearly everything in the legal world, they're always kicked out longer than they're meant to go on first. So no, not in the, not in, there's not in the Commission Act is there a hard and fast that like they have to be this long and stuff like that. No, they're all very much their own beasts. And I suppose when we're looking into kind of to the Mother and Baby Home Commission, um, mm. as you said, Amy, they started back when, you know, a local historian in Galway, Catherine Corliss, um, she found essentially up to 800, yeah. a, a mass grave, unmarked grave of up to 800 bodies uh, near the Bodsecure's mother and baby home in Chewing County Galway. And I suppose that kind of sparked a lot of, a lot of great concern, public concern. People started, yeah. like, it's time to get, find out what happened to, yeah, like 800 is just a huge amount to, to not know oh. who they are, when they died, where they died. It's just, I suppose, it was a huge, horrific. huge public scandal. And I suppose... Like you said, it was 2012 these findings came to light, but it wasn't until, yeah. the, to, until 2015 when it was then Minister for Children, James Riley, set up the commission. And essentially the commission was chaired by Miss Justice Yvonne Murphy. She's a very high profile, um, well, she already led investigations to clerical child abuse. Um, and basically what this commission was to look at, this commission was investigating the practices of Irish mother and baby homes uh, between 1922 and 1998. And it looked at 14 particular mother and baby homes. So kind of raging all throughout the, all throughout the country in Dublin, Cork, Galway, Tipperary, Meath. You're looking at a huge range of different homes and throughout a, quite a long period of time. We also have Professor Mary Daly, who is president of the Royal Irish Academy and former pro- professor of Irish history at UCD and Dr. William Duncan, who was professor of law at Trinity College and was a member of the Law Reform Commission. So there's three people on this commission then? Three people, but it's chaired by Justice Murphy. So she is the big honcho, so to speak, of all this. So from January 2015, the commission has started. We'll fast forward to October of 2016 when investigations began at the mother and baby home in Shoom, basically just trying to find out what Catherine Corliss found and just to further prove her findings. This excavation leads us to March of 2017 where there was, quote, significant quantities of human remains which were found during the excavation. So this is it. We found it. There was, you know, it's there. Later that month, then Taoiseach and the Kenny described it as a chamber of horrors. And so the commission was still doing its report. So it was still always working in the background. And I think it's just the yeah. horrors never cease to amaze. So the commissions are always given um, kind of updates and report the whole time through these. So they'll give these interim reports to like the minister and then, of course, the Taoiseach. So they're like they're all the time kept in the loop of this. And like this one, which just I mean, it's just there's no words. No, it's just it's just it, it's a very it's a very tragic pick. It's very tra- tragic report. There's no. No, no, no way of putting it. Um, and I suppose then as well, when we jump to July 2018, you now have a different Minister for Children and Youth Affairs, which is Independent TD, Catherine Sapone. And what she did this time around is she set up the collaborative forum. So basically, the commission was set up, you know, we have the three core members, but basically what Minister Sapone did at the time, she created this collaborative forum, which pushed those affected by the decisions to have the right to be centrally involved in the decision making. And that this collaborative forum was then chaired by Dr. Granny Healy, who was the chair of the collaborative forum, should I say. And she was the former chair of the National Women's Council, member of the Board of Equality of Authority Ireland and the Women's Health Council. So I suppose it seemed, it, you know, it seemed like a good fit and it puts 
put survivors and the women who and, and the women and the children put them at the center mm-hmm. of the de- of the decision making and it's it's mad to think that it was going on for so long without them being you know at the center of this decision making and getting that direct say to the commission exactly exactly and then we kind of fast forward a few months to december of 2018 and this is where kind of it's more disturbing things come out especially with regards to mixed race children in ireland and how women were treated especially there was one particular woman rosemary adzer who's born to a white irish mother and her father was from ghana in in 1956 and she just caught she recalls her time in a mother and baby home as an unmitigated hell and so while it was awful throughout the board for all women i think the reports showed even further that there were certain sectors of society that were treated far worse so all throughout this like timeline there's these interim reports are coming out there's the collaborative forum and working with it and just the horrors of it are really coming to light like you said you know it's cropping up uh, the racial bias that was there the neglect that was there the physical emotional sexual abuse that was there and it's all kind of leading up to when this final report is going to be published exactly and the last interim report as you said earlier amy last interim report was published in march 2019 and i think this was kind of one of the most horrific things it found that 802 children died within june during its 36 years operation and this is this is within the home of Tomb. this is not even looking at the mast on mark grave so i think this is where we at where we were at going into 2020 october 2020 which was when we had the incredibly consequential bill that came to the floors of the doll and i suppose everyone in October 2020, everyone saw on Twitter, especially in social media, stop the seal. There was a lot of confusion. Again, like this is a, there a lot of, it's a huge legal discourse, which, you know, not many people, including myself, would be mm-hmm. very, w- unless you wouldn't be maybe privy to such things. So Amy, do you know, what ex- what was this bill that was brought forward? We saw it was huge. And this is, you know, we're in a few months in, this is during COVID. This is during the new government. Roger Gorman is now, the, is now head of the Department of Children. So, what happened that in October 2020? Yeah, so uh, like you said, Neve, this like stops the seal thing. It all kind of came out of this bill that came to the doll chamber. And the bill was the Commission on Investigation, Mother and Baby Homes and Certain Related Matters bill. And basically this bill was kind of to kind of refine more details about the commission. So the Commission's Act of 2004 kind of sets the kind of, this is how commissions should be handled and the overarching thing. And you'd often see these bills come to the floor where it's kind of, let's refine the details around, like all these things need to be tied up in a nice legal bow. Um, and there was like lots of stuff in there being like um, how it was going to be wound down, the process of that, all this kind of nitty gritty stuff. But there was this thing. And it's I think it's important to highlight that this sealing of the records is not in the two in the 2004 um committees act this is only was brought in this bill oh so it basically calls out that these records are going to be sealed for 30 years as basically part of the records being like transferred over so basically the committee kind of collects all these records and they're required to archive them and they're then given to the minister of the relevant department so Roger Gorman for the Minister of Children, Equality, Disability. And then the commission also needs to give an archive of a database of all like, you know, everything that's happened. And they got needed to give that to TUSLA, which is the Child and Family Agency. But to give these records to TUSLA, it said in this bill that they had to be sealed for 30 years to allow the transfer of data from basically their archives to TUSLA. So it wouldn't be like interfered with that everything could be above the board. And I think a lot of people are like, 30 years to let that all happen that is a bit mad 
and it is mad. But the government kind of argued, you know, defending the bill that it was, this was in line with, you know, the Commissions of Investigation Act of 2004, this due diligence kind of to make sure that everything was going to be completely captured, nothing was going to get tampered with, that it needed this 30 years to give, you know, the par- to seal these documents, make sure everything was above board and like that due diligence needed to happen. And under this so-called urge legislation, as the government insisted on calling it, are survivors, are they able to access their, like it's their records, even if the seal is such, are they still allowed to access their records then? So basically what happens with a seal is that it seals off to the general public. You can't, you can't get it. Now, people can access records when they're sealed, but you have to go through a lengthy kind of process of proving, you know, why you need it, that it's justified that this kind of, your need to see this outweighs the need to preserve the legal preservation basically of this stuff. So the, Answer is yes, but the reality of it is not yes, if you know what I mean. I suppose as well, if, if you're a survivor who's already giving, you're reliving a traumatic experience, whether you were a young mother who, who was sent to that home or whether you were a child who was born into that home. And I suppose the fact that you have to go through all of these steps again in order to access your records, if the commission report is sealed, you can see, you can understand as to why advocacy groups for um, adoptees and for you know survivors of mother and baby homes are quite annoyed about this. What well, and Neve, you know, like you think about these people that have had to, you know, fight so hard to get their adoption cert, to get like records of their parents, that they face all these legal obstacles again and again, a system designed to stop them for getting their information that is theirs, and then they're hit with this again. It's just it's a fine it's always a fine balance in law, um, what is legislatively correct and then your social legal obligation of like you can't be treating people like this. It's just not, it's it's not okay. And there's also like a legal argument to why it isn't okay as well. Um, So the General Data Protection Regulations, GDPR, came in 2018. It's a European Act. And that's about your right to access your data, basically information about you. And that act supersedes the 2004 Act and the bill that came in as well. But the Attorney General of Ireland doesn't think so. And that's where this is kind of coming. So, but the government, when this all kind of started coming out and more and more kind of legals, you know, academics and people who work in, you know, data protection, everything started coming out and be like, listen, lads, like whatever about morally, this is horrible to do to people legally. It's not right either. The government started doing like a U-turn saying that, you know, like they would engage with the data protection commissioner who is, you know, oversees data pr- protection law in Ireland, that like people would have the right to access their own personal information about themselves and that G- their GDPR will be fully, you know, respected, implemented and everything like that. So they kind of started talking like they were coming around to it. Like they were kind of, they were getting a lot of legal pressure and of course they were getting, you know, backlash from the general public because it just seems so horrific that people have to go through this legal battle to see their own stuff and this is all kind of happening in the background coming up to when the final report is going to be released in January. So Roger Gorman, you know, he said that the bill after this was passed in, as he said, a huge backlash not only from the public but also from the opposition TDs. Yeah, so he said it would be published in December and here we are. It was meant to be published in January but... I think anything has shown in the last year in 2020, nothing goes as to plan. And the the report was then leaked um, in on, in a Sunday newspaper on the 10th of January before the report was given out to those who contributed to the commission or it was even given to the survivors. So I suppose 
you know, this was another huge mishap on this government. The fact that this, it, it was leaked. And I suppose what yeah. we're looking at now is that the cabinet have agreed that the Secretary General of the Department of Antioch is going to be examining the, the details of how this was leaked because it's going to hurt a lot of people. It's, inc- you know, a lot of people found it incredibly insensitive and it just, it didn't start the week off well. It was going to be yeah. already a very harrowing week. Oh, Absolutely. Like, if you think you need to, you know this report is coming out, it's been written about your lived experience, you're psyching yourself up for it, all of a sudden you see it leaked in a Sunday paper. And, you know, the report kind of, it was foreshadowing what was to come, you know, especially that 9,000 children died across 18 institutions. And then we kind of leads up to the big day of when the report was leaked, which was the 12th of January. And I suppose as well... It was described as a landmark moment for the Irish state and this was also when the survivors were getting their formal apo- apology from Antishok Michal Martin. I suppose it didn't go down necessarily as well as anticipated now. No, I think there is a lot of, I mean it started off in a bad foot with the leaking but I think the way the government handles that leaking kind of further, it, it just, it made it very difficult for the survivors. They were kind of brought together on a webinar and told that they, you know, this had happened. The report was now available to them. So they were brought together on the, the report was leaked on the Sunday. They were brought together to, to, with a webinar on that following Tuesday, telling them, you know, about a brief overview of the contents of the report, a brief apology, and that they could download the report. Now, this report is including the uh, the appendices and the whole, sh- the whole shebang. The contents of the report itself is about 2,800-ish pages, but the whole report in its entirety is over 3,000. Huge. Ask, ask, asking people to download that. Huge. 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 Asking people Huge. to read that. Oh, absolutely. Asking people to get read through that. It's just, like, it, it, they did make the report, the report accessible to the survivors. Uh, they just didn't. I suppose as well when you're asking people of a certain like when we're we're looking from 1922 this is when the report is starting from all the way up until 1998 so not everyone not everyone's going to be used to some sort of digital literacy so and just thinking that everyone will have access to a computer or a smartphone or something I suppose that was already a blunder that they already had going into this report absolutely and you're you know you're talking about like this is happening in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic so even like people who mightn't have access to a smartphone they mightn't be with families who have a smartphone that can kind of bring them through the process they don't have access to go to a shop to print it if they don't have a printer at their home there's so many things they don't have access like so many people didn't have you know the the support of their families around them physically as well at that time that it's just made a, a very difficult process so and I suppose as well like the report there was a lot of there was a lot of issues within it you know a lot of survivors weren't happy with it even a lot of opposition TDs. I think we saw one of the most prominent t- um, TDs in opposition who kind of spoke out was Ka- was independent TD Catherine Conley. Um, she spoke. She seemed to be. We saw a lot of su- survivors come out and support and it, like agreed with the comments she made. And I think what she said it seemed to resonate with a lot of survivors. So this is what she had to say. And that witness testimony jumps off the page: sexual abuse, rape babies taken, a complete absence of any sense of understanding of the bond between mother and child. And that's set out and it jumps off the pages, Minister, and, and that should be preserved and acted upon. But the conclusions, there was no, no, no evidence of forced adoption, couldn't possibly accept that. No evidence of 
pressure to put them into mother and baby homes. And we have Deputy O'Callaghan here today reinforcing that myth that it was society. It wasn't society, it was the powerful in society. It was led by the church. And I'm not here to scapegoat nuns because the nuns reported to the bishop who reported to the archbishop who reported to Rome. And what did our government do? Bow down in deference. On the back of what Catherine Connolly just said, I think we saw a lot of survivors and women were heavily critical of this. In particular, I think the main grievance a lot of people have to say was the issue of forced adoption. You know, that it acknowledged, the report said that it acknowledges that mother often had little choice in terms of adopting their children, but it also states that women and girls had time after the initial placement for adoption to reassess the situation. Which, just from listening to survivors, just doesn't seem to be the case. I think Philomena Lee is one of the most well-known cases. The movie, If anyone doesn't know, it was an Academy Award-nominated movie. Judy Dedge starred Philomena Lee all about how she was in Sean Ross Abbey and her child was given away to an American family and how years later she went to go and find her child. But the child was given up against her will. She did not have a say. And I think that seemed to be a lot. I think if you anyone listened to Liveline that week, you could just hear the stories of women saying that, no, my oh. child was taken out of my hands. The real accounts. Yeah. I think, you know, that's just one of the examples in the report of the it's just the report seemed to miss the nuances do you know that it made these general sweeping statements that no there wasn't any forced adoption when the report would in later chapters go on to account details of forced adoption and the same was seen in discrimination that it's found that there was you know no evidence of discrimination and yet yet again later in the report it go on to account um evidence of it so I think it's just very and it's very difficult I think to like wrap your head around why like why are they saying these things that there isn't evidence when you read it later on in the report and you're like but there is it's exactly right there and that point you it. made uh, Amy is exactly what Susan Lohan made she's the co-founder of the Adoption Rights Alliance basically saying that the report contradicts itself is that you find yourself reading back pages and going didn't they just say the opposite of that a few years a few pages ago so it it <laughs> I don't think it came out of what it was expected. You know, it was almost six years in the making. It just definitely just doesn't seem to hit the mark with what the survivors wanted. I know a lot of TDs, as I said earlier, came out in opposition. Catherine Connolly being one of the main ones. We also had the Social Democrats, Jennifer Whitmore and Holly Cairns in particular, had very, you know, very vocalised opposition. Sinn Féin's Kath uh, Kathleen Funchen, their spokesperson for Children and Youth Affairs, told RTE's This Week in Politics that the report was a whitewash. So across the board... People were disappointed. What came out of it was, I suppose by the end of it, the report, they recommended a state apology, redress and access should be given to the survivors of mother and baby homes between that period of 1922 to 1998. So I suppose when we look at redress, Amy... So the recommendations of the report um, kind of highlighted a few things that they wanted uh, people, you know, like that they, they recommended that the government should do. And it's important as well to kind of remember that these commissions can only give recommendations to the government and it's on them to enact them. So one of them was redress. So redress is basically compensation of some description and it's compensation based on like a wrong or a grievance. And this is generally proven by a grave emotional distress and then grave physical harm. So basically if it was a really harrowing situation or if you physically harmed for it. So Redress can come in like then um, like a couple of different forms, but um, 
the most common two forms are um, financial and enhanced services. So financial is, you know, you get your cash. Enhanced services is something that was recommended on the report, like um, medical card access for the survivors. And then the financial address, the committee said it was a matter for the government that they needed to decide what was appropriate. They also recommended that a fund should be established for the surviving children um, of these um, institutions. And I suppose as well, I think one of the big grievances, just as we said earlier, one of the recommendations was the state apology. There seemed to be an issue with, with um, Tushok Michal Martin's apology with regard to placing blame on the church and state and not on a society as a whole. I suppose people took grievance with that because at the time of, you know, of Ireland at that time, society was church and state, in particular the church. And I think it wasn't until the day after the report that the Sisters of the Bond Securers and Shoom offered their apologies to all the women and children. They acknowledged, in particular, the infants and children who died at the home, but that, that wasn't noted as much in the Taoiseach's apology. So I think that links back to the fact that the report actually didn't find that there was any systematic abuse um, from the mother and baby homes or the county homes. And this kind of comes back to a recurring issue in this report. Again, it's like they, there's evidence of all this, you know, abuse that could be considered systematic, but yet the report doesn't. There's evidence of forced adoption, of discrimination. The report considers that there's not. And a lot of kind of legal academics that look into this have kind of come to the, like, they have kind of pinpointed that this issue is because they're in the report there's no um defined methodology on what the commission considers to be evidence and not so this is kind of so it's basically what this would be i think anyone who's written a thesis knows about methodology and you you basically set out your reasons for doing something why is this so in something like this it was in the ryan's um report about the clerical abuse it would set out what they were going to consider as evidence and what they weren't. So this report is lacking in that. And I think that's why there's these kind of discrepancies, these kind of discrepancies. So the Taoiseach is, is following the recommendations of that report that like it wasn't, it wasn't systematic state and clerical abuse. So it has to be society as well. And like, as you said, it was all the one back in the day. I mean, I think anyone like, um, my grandmother is 95 and, um, shout out to Maureen and she would often discuss she's a teacher she'd often discuss this the intertwinement of um state and church at the time and I think to say that it's just I don't know how accurate that is and I think it kind of neglects um the report's obligation to properly reflect the socio-legal landscape at the time and it's very it's very difficult you know for survivors to listen to that and I think it's kind of shows how sometimes the the legalization of things like this can kind of lose that human element that we need to kind of you know consider and the fact like that some evidence was taken into consideration and some was not um written evidence was taken to have more weight in it than oral evidence that were interviews kind of that people gave again why is that no answers are given and i think that's the hardest um part that people get to can are trying to wrap their hands around why why is it like this mm-hmm. and the lack of clarity on that in the report is it's tough it's tough I suppose it only seems to get worse then from there and especially we're speaking about, you know, oral oral reports and then we come to, you know, a few days later on the 30th of January and it's reported that audio recordings of the survivors' interviews are were deleted and destroyed, that they were just disposed of and that some of the women who gave their, who some of the women who were interviewed um, 
on uh, with an audio recording. They weren't told that th- this would be disposed of afterwards and Justice, Justice Murphy wouldn't come in front of a committee to speak about this. I, it just, it seemed to be on a downward spiral while some people might have grasped that they were happy that this report was coming to an end. It had been a long five, nearly six years since the commission was set up. But then I suppose with what some people called whitewash of the report, like you said, Amy, there was no, there seemed to be no clarity on the methodology behind the report. And now we find that that uh, recordings are being deleted. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to be going well for the commission or quite frankly for Roger Corgorman and his department. No, like exactly like you're saying, Eve. obviously, you know, the information that the report gives on what happened is important. And it's, it's important that those survivors got that, you know, they got some of that, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, like having all this kind of discounted, some of this evidence discounted and having those oral um interviews deleted. So, the a commission spokesperson said that these oral interviews were deleted because they were recorded on the basis that they would be confidential and that they wouldn't go any further than this recording and they'd never, you know, get out there. But um, some survivors have actually come out saying that, no, that is not what they were told. They were never told that it was going to be deleted. Um, so again, it's like that mixed messaging. Okay, like, well, what is it? And is it right to, you know, delete them entirely so there's no option of ever getting that information back so here we are now we're less than a week away from the archives being sealed we have deleted audio recordings and political tension seems to continue to rise we have seen all opposition tds come out labor people before profit Sinn Féin and the social democrats in particular the social democrats who are bringing a bail to the doll in order to extend this commission for a year because we have less than a week to go and it's just the tension seems to be rising and the social democrats have voted for a private members bill which the government which the cabinet dismissed so that way we're looking at in government tds who may want to vote in opposite of the government line we saw neve smith fianna fall td for cabin and monaghan and north mead she pleaded with taoiseach uh michael martin maybe to look at a different way and extending this to a year. Mm. Now, whether she'll vote in line with the Social Democrats, we don't know because it will not be... Um, in line with the party. Exactly, exactly. So we're looking at this on the 28th. What will happen if the commission is is extended? Is that going to make a huge difference? Or what does this offer? Why are, this, why are the opposition TDs kind of fight, fighting so, so much for this? People are fi- fighting so much for this because once the commission is closed there's nobody there to answer the questions on the commission's report people can make you know assumptions and guesses off the report but the the people who wrote it are not there to answer questions and to gain more clarity and like as we've discussed throughout this there are questions and people are wanting to know why things have happened and also this is against the backdrop of you know the pandemic where services are limited things aren't moving as quick so there's also that of being like it should be open for longer because of covid and i think it's important as well to note that like this commission has been extended before commissions have been extended many times before in the past but basically in in the bill which is now an act that we previously referred to the commissions of investigations about their own baby home and certain related matters bill which talked about the ceiling for 30 years it basically said that the commission would wrap up at this point as well so again that's coming out and the commissions the members of the commissions are basically saying that they are not going to stay on so if the commission is extended and the commission members quit you essentially have a skeleton 
commission and that's never happened before so we're not exactly sure what that would look like and that's kind of why the government is arguing you know that's um minister Roderick O'Gorman's kind of main argument for not letting this happen Roderick O'Gorman is also arguing saying that if the archive doesn't move over to his department that those you know survivors and those who contributed to the commission they can't access their information that's he went on to say to or to ease this week in politics that if the commission is still in operation for the purpose of being investigated by the DPC. But I suppose Deputy Karen comes back and says that transferring over the records kind of very much leaning on what you said, Amy, and that this stops the report. She kind of leaves. Her point is, is that there are many unanswered questions in terms of how do they record the testimonies? How do they delete them? What kind of investigation would lead to such records being deleted or unrecovered? And... You know, she's saying that the with rights under GDPR that people cannot get answers under a non-entity. So I suppose the next few days would be very crucial. But I suppose if people are to vote in line with government, it 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 looks like we this will be sealed. With, yeah. On Sunday. And you know, even getting that vote through in this time is very very tight. Um, you know, like it's it has to be passed within two days. You know, through the doll and the Shannon to get it to actually happen so even just that it's just very very tight there's no real room for debate about it it looks like it will it will be closed and then that really means that what is out there now is what will remain out there and that's it which is tough for certain survivor groups uh, that have advocated so long for this report and that they have more questions, they want more answers, and unfortunately it looks like they will not be getting it from this commission. And I suppose that just kind of leaves us where we are, and I think just as a general public, I suppose all we can do is really thank the women and the the uh, children who came forward and had the bravery to speak to the report, had the bravery to speak to the various media organisations, I suppose as well, this all began with Catherine Corliss, and I think the state will be forever indebted to her. And it's just, well, it is being closed. There's a lot of unanswered questions, but Mm -hmm. it's a chapter is now officially being closed on a very dark time in Irish history. Absolutely. And I think exactly what you're saying, Eve. these reports and everything could feel like over-legalised and over-politicised. And it's really about the people that it happened to. And yeah, thanking them for coming forward and showing a really dark part of Irish history. And really, you know, it's, a pity that as part of the recommendations of this report there isn't something to prevent it happening again and prevent similar institutions for existing in today's society and yeah it's just this chapter is unfortunately being closed in the legal sense but I think socially I hope people keep talking about it people keep asking questions about it and yeah that we basically just don't forget what the church that happened in this country what the state that happened in this country to like those women and children and that we don't do it again to any other marginalized sector of society here and for anyone who was listening to this week's episode if you were affected by any any of the content discussed please note there's a hse helpline on 1800 111 treble eight and there's also the bananas post adoption helpline on 01454 6388 we want to thank everyone for listening again to this week's episode of The Polling Station. Don't forget to check us out on at the Polling Pod on Twitter and Instagram, where we'll have more information on helplines for anyone who may have been impacted by this episode. Until next week, thanks for listening, guys.